Welcome back to another Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my feisty co-hosts, Maria Jose Inita, Mario Sakura. Um, how, Why do you how, say that, Creek? Well, you know, it's just an observation today. Um, I am in uh, a small little town that probably no one has heard of called Philadelphia, and uh Visiting Mario for for a couple of days. That's so. right. Creek sleeping on my sofa. For, yes. For, for a bit, yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, it's, good to, it's good to have you. And ahead, I have to say. say that I'm envious of the two of you being in one place and me in, in not the same being country. there. <laughs> yeah. Well, not in the same country, but in the same place and getting yeah. to hang out together. And, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sorry I cannot be there. I know. Next next time the three of us will be here. We, we do have another show for Maria Jose. Yeah, so, uh, yeah there you, know, you go. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Feisty describes the look we just got there. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand why you're questioning yeah, it, Maria yeah. Jose. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about, uh, we're introing the core qualities in the accelerators, two things in the awareness to action approach that is, that I, I think are really, really helpful. Um, redefining some of the old language um, to make to modernize it as well as uh, I think clarify it to something a little bit more um, flexible to the human condition. So let's jump into uh, let's start with the core qualities. What's what's that origin of the core qualities, and why did you decide to change the language? Sure, uh, Maria Jose. How about I take this question first? Okay. So, uh... <laughs> 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 so there's an idea in the Enneagram literature uh, called the essential aspects. And um, when I was reading Sandra Matry's book, uh, The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram, way back whenever that book was published 20 some years ago, uh, she has an appendix where she talks about the core qualities. And I think Almas's latest book is on that topic. And uh, so... <laughs> We're laughing here because Maria Jose is pouring herself more wine. So uh, you know, as, as, as we go, so uh, you're muted, Maria Jose. So yeah. probably fortunately, all right. So, so, uh, so I liked, I liked the idea of the core qualities. I liked the content that was part of it, but. But as we've talked about before, there are some philosophical problems with the Neoplatonic essentialist ideas that I have an issue with. And those ideas do permeate this original idea of the essential aspects, right? So when you read Maitri, when you read Almas, they are assuming that these aspects are platonic in nature, that they are part of the fabric of the universe, etc., I, I don't buy that. Um, they're just, you, you know, there, there are these aspects of human nature, right? Humans are not born a tabula rasa. They're not born a blank slate that, you know, um, society and the world then imprint on. We have characteristics of what it means to be human, right? Potential, at least. And these core qualities are reflections of that, right? So there are nine of them that we talk about. Each one um, is mapped to one of the Enneagram points. And the key distinction here is that we do not see these qualities as fully formed. We see them as things that exist in us in an immature form. 
And ideally, they mature as we go through life. So, for example, if we take the core quality of, um, oh, let's say vitality at 0.8, for example. Um, <laughs> the vitality in a child, as we'll talk about, is is immature, right? It's undirected. It's unformed. It's expressive. It's impulsive. It's chaotic. It's undisciplined. Um as we go through life, we learn to channel that vitality. That some people do. Some, some people, people do. do right? <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, Maria Jose, <laughs> these core qualities are sort of at the heart of our fundamental issues. Okay, so eights are wrestling with number one the impact of the stunting of those core qualities that happens early in life. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But it's how do I develop a mature version of that? Okay. How do I not demonize it and so forth? And then how does the stunting of that core quality impact, you know, me in particular ways? Maria Jose, um, when you first encountered the core qualities, did did you immediately resonate with the core quality of one? No. I, I think that in general with the idea of core qualities, because I had uh, previously learned about the essential aspects of the of the, all the uh, of each point, I first struggled to kind of do the uh, transition between one concept and the other, and I think they're different. When I started learning about the core qualities, objectivity, which is the core quality at point one, was not kind of like a, probably the logical one. It was not something that it was intuitively obvious. But when I think about my own experience, my growth, and how I have matured over time, I, it resonates a lot. So I think that at with some point, it is very clear and intuitive, like, I don't know, with point two, compassion, or point three, value. But I think that there's some others that um, they're not what you would think of as the first thing that comes to mind. Are there particular ones that get more pushback than others? Yeah, I think point one and point five are the ones yeah. that most people seem to have, you know, some pushback on, right? So point five is intuition. And, you know, we've had people say that they see objectivity as the core quality mm. of point five, right? Rather than point one. Yeah. But objectivity is the ability to see things as they are without emotion, without baggage, without prejudice, etc. Without, actually, without thinking about them as they should be. Right. Exactly. Uh, right. So so once what we do is resist to what things are yeah. and do not see them and accept them, which is the accelerator, as just they are. And we tend to think we know how things should be and thinking that that's objective. And that's yeah. a trick. Yeah. We believe that we have this objectivity, that we have this almost enlightenment, <laughs> that we know how things should be, and we see things and see the gap 
of how they should be compared to, to what they are, but we're not being objective. And developing that, nurturing that, makes a huge change uh, for once. Why don't we talk a little bit about each one and what happens, uh, you know, regarding the stunting, because the, the, the idea here is that the socialization process restricts us. And, and, and this, you know, this kind of ties us to what Winnicott was talking about when he talked about, you know, true self and false self, right? You know, Winnicott's idea of the true self was the unfiltered impulses of the child. Okay. And a child can't be part of the family structure, part of society, if their impulses are unchecked and unstructured and, you know, um, just let loose. So through the socialization process, there is a stunting of this, right? The, the child gets messages that I, I don't love you or I don't like you as much when you have too much energy, for example. Right. Uh, when you um, the child gets messages that if you're too compassionate, it causes you pain. Right. You walk around like this open wound. And so you have to stunt the impulse toward compassion in order to protect yourself. So these qualities, they start off in immature forms and then they become stunted and we start to become uncomfortable with them and we start to resist them and we start to, you know, even reject them at times. And so the, the growth of them, the maturation of them from, you know, uh, objectivity, which is just based in ignorance, which is what the child has, right? So if we go with Mirose's example of objectivity, we're talking about a lack of prejudice, preconception, and a lack of shoulds. Well, the child doesn't have that because they can't even form coherent thoughts till they're three years old, right? So, um, but what happens is that because that starts to become stunted, because they start to pick up prejudices, for example. They pick up the biases of their parents. They pick up the prejudices of the people around them. They, th they pick up the rules of people. And so they stop trusting their own ability to rely on objectivity and they start picking up all these rules, prejudices, preconceptions, and objectivity becomes stunted. Now, the idea here is that growth is about how do I remove those confinements so it can mature, okay? Because it's immature objectivity to just be ignorant, right? Mature objectivity is learning to recognize that I do have biases, that I do have emotional reactions to things, that I do have shoulds that come into my mind, but I'm able to clear through them and be objective. One of the problems with the Neoplatonic approach to the essential aspects is that there's these fantasy that once I get rid of the ego, they will be there fully formed. And our approach is a different one. So there's the potential of these core qualities. They are in, in mature forms, and the work is to nurture them. The work is to practice certain things, which we call accelerators, so that we can help them grow and mature. And, yeah. and that, I think it's a more 
realistic and um, it explains the phenomena of how we grow and develop better than thinking that if we get rid of this layer of the ego, the mature human being and almost enlightened human being will be there. Well, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and, and I want to be careful that we don't get accused of creating a straw man here because the people who do take a more yeah. traditional approach to this will say, well, yes, yeah, sure. The problem is, is that they often say the other thing as well, right? You know, you can read a Chazo, for example, in Almas's book saying, no, we're talking about, you know, fully formed neoplatonic ideas, never changing, you know, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, sure, they have to mature. Well, you can't have it both ways, right? You, you have to, you know, you have to choose one. Either they're fully formed and perfect as is, or they're immature. And like everything else in the whole known universe, they go through a process of development. Okay, they don't and, Yeah, and some people also call or make these... Uh, use this metaphor of the true self and the false self. We're not saying here that the core quality is the true self. Right. It's not something we're saying. What we're saying here is that it's a part of us that it needs to mature if we want to grow. Uh, but it's as true as the other things <laughs> yeah. uh, which are there, which might be less adaptive, but it's true anyway so so core qualities are another way of saying is like human specific human potentials aspirations exactly right yeah exactly yeah and and but but they're a real part of us as well right they're not just aspirational they're there but you know the analogy we use is like they're, they're like an acorn right and an acorn grows into a um a tree or a grape you know, eventually gets translated into wine through a particular process, right, Maria Jose? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So, so, so the you know the the acorn analogy, if we think of the core qualities in their immature form, they're like an acorn, but it doesn't mean they're going to grow into an oak tree. That's the potential to be that oak tree, but they have to be nurtured, right? They have to have proper soil. They have to have enough sunlight. They have to have enough, uh, you know, uh, water, water and so forth, right? And so they, um, so there, there's this developmental process that goes, that we go through. But the, the, you know, the more challenging our holding environment is, the more stunting there is, right? And the more work we do to cultivate the core qualities, the faster they will develop into that oak tree. So this is this is the whole idea. Now, and the, and the, the stunting, I wouldn't like to portray these as as kind of like trying to demonize the stunting because I think it's necessary, yeah. and or it's just normal that it happens. We all send send messages to kids and to adults that. Uh, contribute to the stunting of the core qualities. Whenever I, I mean, I have kids, and whenever I say, like, behave or be good or don't trust strangers or things like that, all of that sends a message that stunts the core qualities. And uh, it is tricky because I've known about this for a long time while my kids were growing up, and I'm very aware of what I say to them, but I fall into the trap of saying those things anyway because they need to understand certain things 
And then it will come the time when they, we start nurturing the core qualities again or yeah. Yeah, in I, parallel. I, I, uh, yeah, and and look, some of the things you're the examples you're giving there, Mario, is they're just good parenting, right? Don't don't trust strangers because there are bad people out there, you know. And so, yeah, that that stunts my you know core quality of uh, you know confidence, for example, at point six. But it would be irresponsible of a parent not to do that, right? So, what we need to do is find ways to make sure, you know, we're not saying, hey. Don't, tr you know, don't trust strangers, you dummy, y you know, kind of thing. Right. So it's it's you know, there are better ways to do it and worse ways to do it as parents. But we can't blame our parents and we can't blame ourselves as parents for this socialization process. It's part of our responsibility. It's, it sounds like the encountering of new information or complexity when, when you don't quite have the tools to metabolize or integrate that complexity and understand how it fits in different situations that can be misinterpreted as like oh i'm just i'm never safe or or i'm i'm really stupid or or something like that and and that needs to be teased out as the brain allows as you grow and yeah. mature yeah, yeah. absolutely it's it, we can think of it as a need to constantly prune and tune, you know, our, ourselves, right? That's what inner work is all about, is recognizing that every insight, every reaction can cause an overcompensation in one way, right? Uh, and then, or a, uh, a generalization of some sort, and then we have to correct it again, right? So you're constantly, you know, tweaking as, as we go through these things. Now, um, the other thing that I that uh, one of the things I really like about the core qualities is that whereas the Enneagram strategies are really all about nine different kinds of people, right? Everybody likes to say, oh, you have all Enneagram types in you and, you know, that sort of thing, uh, which, again, we don't really we, we just don't buy it. I don't know what that means. Right. So um, but when it comes to the core qualities, we do all experience all nine of these. So even though Maria Jose is a one and the core quality there is around objectivity, I can relate to that as well. Okay. Just like she can relate to the stunting of vitality and we can both relate to the stunting of individuality, which is a point four, even though it's not our core issue. So we all relate to all the we, we can all relate to all nine of these core qualities. We can relate to, you know, what it's like to nurture them and to grow and develop. And we can relate to what it feels like to have them stunted because it's happening in all of us. So whereas we see the strategies as an Enneagram of nine different kinds of people, we see the core qualities as an Enneagram of nine aspects of each one of us. Which are really deep, and we see how we don't often teach the core qualities, but we see how in the work that we're doing and within ourselves, um, the stunting of the core quality and the loss of that connection with the core quality is something that shows up when we're going through some difficult or challenging times. Yeah. And when we work with it, uh, we see how it's almost painful for people to feel, to experience it. And, um, 
but it's not something that we teach lightly. We use it in coaching or in certain trainings where it is important to understand that. But it's, yeah, it's subtle yeah. and it's uh, deep. Yeah, and, and to Maria Jose's point, people aren't always ready to go there, right? And so, so you know, we talk about how we all relate to all nine of them, but we also find that the most critical ones are the ones that are Enneagram point and the two connecting points, right? So for Maria Jose as a one, the most critical issue for her, the most kind of painful issue is the stunting of objectivity. But the stunting of compassion and the stunting of individuality are also crucial issues and the development of those is really important. And you Creek as a four, you know, points two and point one are also crucial in me as an eight. It's it's eight, five, and two. Yeah, in my so, case, joy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry, it's seven. I'm sorry, yes, yeah, so seven, sorry, thank you. Joy and individuality. Yes, yeah, so joy and individuality. So um, so it's the stunting of joy that, you know, is also problematic for sevens. Um, um, That's why yeah. I'm <laughs> working so, on that. So, 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 so there's a couple of things here. So, so what ends up happening for us, because these things are stunted, we tend to start, projecting a false version of it. Okay. So with the, you know, with the one, for example, instead of genuine joy, which is, you know, a feeling of well-being, uh, you know, unassisted by external um, um, experiences and, and beverages. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, no. So, so for the one, <laughs> So, for, for the one, there's. Sorry, I lost it. Um, so, for the one, it's the stunting of joy is just as critical. And so, what we all do is we sort of find a substitute in a way for these things, and it becomes handy. So, with the eight, the stunting of vitality creates this feeling of deadness inside that they try to fill with excess, okay? What they try to fill with, you know, uh, energy and activity and anger and, you know, all of these qualities that kind of feels like the same, but it's never satisfying, okay? Because it's not the real thing. And it becomes like, you know, this it, it becomes like having an itch on our right shoulder and we scratch the left shoulder in order to, to fill it, uh, to, to satisfy it. But it never quite gets it. So we do it more and we do it more and we do it more. Which doesn't mean that we have our strategy because of the stunting yeah. of the core quality, right? Correct. Yeah. And so that is one approach to this is that the ego or in our case, the strategy is something that is a substitute for this, you know, the stunting of the core quality. We like to think of them more as co-emergent properties, right? We're not ready to say, oh, the reason that Maria Jose strives to feel perfect is because she stunted in objectivity maybe maybe not uh that doesn't all we really... know is that they coexist uh, yes and so we have to be really careful about assuming a causal mechanism you know as you know we're not big on we're, we're very cautious about causal mechanisms and, and 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 so what what if they 
it's one, it's the cause of the other. I mean, they still coexist, and that's all we know. Yeah. Uh, we cannot change the stunting of the core quality anyway. So yeah. I think that trying to go too far in finding the um, cause of it, it's not actionable. There's not a lot that we can do about it. So all we know is that they are together, yeah. that, that they're all present. Yeah. The other thing is that the, the core qualities, they're qualities. They're not, you know, the strategy is a plan of action. Uh, it's a way of interacting with the world. The core qualities are more something we experience, but we still need some mechanism to implement them in the world. Right. So like we talk about, you know, we, we never want to demonize the strategies in any way. It's only are you using the strategy adaptively or maladaptively is the only question. Uh, so don't you know, don't make this mistake of thinking, oh, the reason that Creek is striving to feel unique is because he's stunted in, in individuality. No, we're not ready to say that's a reason. We're ready to say that those two things exist and they address different aspects of the experience of being Creek. Okay, uh, for, for what that's worth. And it might seem like it's a nuance in splitting hairs, but when it comes to application and implementation, that distinction is really important. Well, maybe maybe we'll just get into that when we get into the numbers because yeah. there's a lot of questions there that I think is clear to you all, but, yeah. but why is that distinction important? So, yeah, and I think that'll make more sense as we get into specific numbers when we're... Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So we're going to do an episode on each of the core qualities, right? So, um, you know, we might want to be able to get, we might be able to get deeper into it then about those, you know, the, the important distinction yeah. there. Core qualities is, is it like a, it's not really an emotion. Is it like it, it's an internal state? Like what's, if there, if your type is the, strategy like a plan of action then what yeah. what's the experience of core quality yeah so the, the reason we use quality is because it's it's you know a, a quality of something is it's kind of hard to define right it's a property in some way right like something can have the quality of wetness for example right so uh, you know something being wet is not um, it's not an action. It's not something that matters. It's just, okay, there are certain outcomes of something being wet, right? It might be more slippery, for example, or it might be able to put out a fire or, you know, whatever it is. But there's no specific purpose to it necessarily, other than it has been found to be an important part of life. Um, and, and, I, and I guess if we look at if, if we look at each one of them, this might become a little bit more clear, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, I, I started down this path because I wanted to touch on something Maria Jose said about people being ready for these. Um, and the reason I started talking about the connecting points, because whenever I work with either a three, a six, or a nine, for example, I get to some point where the, um, um, the nine will say, you know, um, the, I just don't feel good enough. I just don't feel like I have value. I just don't feel like I have what it takes to survive. And what they're expressing there is the stunting of the core qualities of point three, six, and nine. 
and three sixes and nines will all make that statement at some point. They will just do it in kind of a different priority. Okay. The three will focus more on value. The nine will focus more on, you know, benevolence or being lovable and, you know, that sort of thing. So people get to it, but it often takes a lot of reflection and a lot of um, um, vulnerability. It's interesting because when you were, uh, I think Greg asked, um, or I don't know how it came up, uh, like which were the ones that were less intuitive. And in my experience, nine, it's also one that people do not expect, I think. Yeah. Because it's like nines are good people. Why should they struggle with feeling like they're good, like benevolence? And when you work with nines, you see that they do. They, it is a struggle they have. It is something that they uh, don't take for granted and that it shapes the way they behave and feel. Yeah. A lot of times when people talk about the essential aspects in point nine, they'll talk about love. And uh, I'm always uncomfortable talking about love as an aspect of human nature because, you know, love means so many things. It's a bit too broad for me, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, for example, the Greeks had, you know, multiple, you know, words for love, right? Different kinds of love uh, because it's just too general. But benevolence means goodwill, right? It's this idea of goodwill toward others. And like Maria Jose said, well, of course, nines have goodwill toward other people. I mean, they're always the nicest people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But not really, right? What happens with the nines is that they don't feel like they have goodwill. They don't feel like they are good and that they are, you know. Or good enough. Or good enough. Yeah, good. And not that they're like bad people, just yeah. that they aren't valuable no, no. enough. That's how they feel, right? Yeah, yeah, they, right. they feel, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm not good enough. I don't have enough value, and I don't have what it takes to survive. Right? Again, this is what they're feeling. Now we all feel this to some extent. Okay, everybody, every single one of us, you know, feels that. But those types feel it most acutely, and this is the point, right? Is that we feel most acutely the stunting at our Enneagram point and the two connecting points. So let's let's transition into the accelerators and the core qualities in the accelerators are, are, are connected. Um, we've got to have some action here. So give us, give us some accelerated action. So Craig is asking about the accelerators, how we define what the accelerators are. But I think you already said that it is the uh, practices that we use to nurture the core qualities at each point. And yeah. as the same as with the core qualities, we can all benefit from nurturing all of the core qualities, but the ones at our point and the two connecting points are the ones that we benefit from the most. So um, these are, again, practices. And as you started with point eight, so at point eight, uh, the core quality is vitality and the core quality to nurture vitality is self-discipline. And it is self because eight will not take anybody else's um, <laughs> direction on what to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, man. But, but their own. So it needs yeah. to feel like it's their own desire to work on something, but it needs to be directed and focused so that it's almost not wasted 
so that it uh, so focused that it makes it really makes me feel alive and feel this yeah. vitality. Yeah. So that's point so, eight. Yeah. So 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 what's happening with the eight is that you know because everybody says again to talk about the counterintuitive nature of these things, right? Vitality is the you know the expression mm. of life, the expression of energy, and people say. Well, geez, who's more vital than eights, right? I mean, eights have all this energy and, you know, all this sort of thing. But the truth is, is that eights feel dead inside, right? They feel the stunting of vitality. They don't feel alive. So they become excessive as a way to try to recapture that. And then what that means is that they're undisciplined. The analogy we often use is a fire hose with the water turned on, but nobody holding on to it, right? So it's just spraying everywhere and it's making a mess. Self-discipline comes along and says, all right, hold on to the fire hose, right? Point it at the base of the fire and so forth and direct it and use it in a channeled way. And it makes the eight start to feel alive again. Okay, So the irony is, is that what might initially feel like some sort of uh, restraint of self-discipline actually provides the space for eights to start feeling alive and vital again. Talk about point nine, Mariose. We touched on it a little bit, but say more. Yeah, so point nine, the core quality is benevolence. And the uh, accelerator, the practice is generativity. So it is like adding value or helping or working with the next generation. A way to say it is like for free because you care about <laughs> them without trying to sell your services, without trying to promote yourself because... What nines try to avoid is feeling arrogant or thinking too highly of themselves. So they neglect that. But they want to feel valuable. They want to feel good. And helping people for free like you would with your grandkids is something that it's like mentoring people, coaching people. That makes them feel the benevolence and in a way that doesn't feel arrogant. And that's a practice that we recommend to nines. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to do an episode on each of these, right? So we'll, we'll just kind of touch on them here. But I do think it's important to touch on them because when we focus on each one individually, we'll talk about the connecting points, right? And the importance of, you know, for yeah. an eight to develop, they also have to be working at the point two and the point five. So we'll, we'll go through them without going too much into detail. So if this isn't making sense to the listener fully, you know, come stay tuned, right? And it'll, it'll get clearer. Uh, so point one, as we talked about, is objectivity. Objectivity is, again, seeing the world as it is without prejudice, preconception, assumption, judgment, etc. One of the things I really get frustrated by was when people start talking about, oh, you know, at point one, it's the understanding that the universe is as it is and as it should be and everything's fine. And that's you're perfect. A, and, and you're perfect and you're just perfect. as you are. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just a bunch of horse shit. Okay. I mean, I've met lots of ones and I've yet to meet one or anybody here who's perfect as they are. This is all about how we see and perceive the world and how we respond to that. So the... the yeah, so, so it's almost like it's not trying to find a holy perfection. Yeah. It's the other way around. So in trying to replicate objectivity, you try to understand the rules of how things should be and try to meet them. 
as a one, but it never satisfies yourself enough. So it's trying to be objective, but almost pretending to be objective or finding the wrong way of being object objective. Yeah. It's like trying to feel perfect. It's you're trying to... F so perfection or like oh, everything, you're perfect as you are, it's a feel-good thing and I've been there, but it's not sustainable. Whereas being more objective, I think it's something that in the long term allows you to feel better, to reject things less and therefore feel more perfect. But it's different. It, it is. It, it's, it's the recognition. And so when we look at the accelerator, again, the practice that nurtures the development of the core quality, it's acceptance. Yeah. And there's a difference between acceptance and resignation or abdication. Acceptance is recognizing that, okay, it's the way it is, and I'm not going to get angry about it. I'm not going to get frustrated about it, but I can work to change it, right? I mean, it doesn't mean we have to settle for the status quo and settle for the world as it is. We can work to change it, but we will be more skillful and more objective in our attempts to do so if we do it with emotional calm and acceptance. Okay, so yeah, the acceptance. sooner you accept things as they are, the better you'll be able to change it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the longer you resist yeah. it, yeah. the most energy that, I mean, the more the energy will be wasted. Yeah, so at point two, um, the core quality is compassion. And the accelerator for point two is um, empathy. So in order to truly feel and resonate emotionally with the other person you need to know what they're thinking what they're going through and to tend to think they know what the other person is experiencing experiencing or needs and the practice is to check so is what you think you need really what you need um, yeah. make yeah, sure so that you're understanding what's going on on the other end yeah so I just want to make the distinction here that we talk about cognitive empathy rather than just yeah. emotional empathy. Okay, so emotional empathy is a is a unfiltered reaction to something. Okay, you look cold to me, so I'm going to respond as if you're cold. Cognitive empathy is thinking about what our experience of the other person is, and then calibrating our reaction to it accordingly. So instead of just, you know, throwing a blanket on somebody because they feel cold to us, we say, mm, you look cold or would you like a blanket? And, you know, and so we check our empathetic um, uh, responses before acting on the world. So there's an element of bringing in cognition there. Um, so point three is value. I'll, I'll, I'll jump to that one. Uh, point three is value. It's... It's inherent worth, right? So you bring a baby into a room and everybody becomes completely distorted, right? Everybody becomes completely unobjective because you think of a baby and they don't do much, right? They don't bring a whole lot of value into, you know, their environment. In fact, the things they do are kind of annoying, right? They cry a lot. They poop. They want to eat all the time. Um, but we just know 
that people have inherent value. And that's why we gather around built the children and we protect them and we do things to make their lives better. But as we go through life, we start to get this impression that says, no, 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 you got to carry your own weight now, or you have to sing for your supper. You have to be good. You have to be smart. You have to be pretty, whatever it is. So we get, our value becomes uh, tied to our actions rather than just inherent value. And the way to recapture that, the, the accelerator is purpose, right? So we always work with threes to develop a sense of purpose that ties together their actions, right? Instead of just trying to achieve everything and anything, I have some focus to my accomplishments. And what happens is they start to recognize, they start to feel progress. They start to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing these things in a, in a way that's contributing, but it's releasing this feeling in me of being okay. Right. So it has this 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 effect of making them feel more valuable. Yeah, and I think with that core quality and accelerator, you can uh, easily see how this applies to everyone. I mean, with my coaching clients, I, with most of them, I've worked on their purpose. Yeah. Because they all want to accomplish something and they want to feel valuable. And working on their uh, purpose is something that helps everyone. Yeah. Uh, but for threes, the pain or the need to feel that way is more acute. Yeah. Yeah. It, all of these accelerators are good practices for everybody. Even the one at point four, right? So at point four. Even. Uh, Why'd you say even? Even. even. <laughs> 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 at point four the core quality is individuality right everybody is an individual okay everybody comes into the world they have their own footprint they have their own fingerprint they have their own iris print iris you know their eye iris print there's never been anybody thank you for that ex exactly like them um in in history um but they start to lose their sense of individuality by becoming identified with other people, with their parents, with their siblings, or getting their sense of identity and being a reaction against something else. Right? And so this individuality is not genuine with the four because they strive to feel unique by, you know, separation and so forth. So um, in order to regain and nurture that feeling of individuality, they, we encourage them to practice um, disidentification, okay? of identifying those things that they are identifying against and reacting against and just letting go of it, right? And this allows, when they stop saying, I'm not this, I'm not that, or I am this, I am that, that's when they can truly just be. And it's when they can truly just be that their individuality starts to come out. So point five is intuition. And so fives think that they need to find, gather more information about things and learn more about things. But here we're talking about kind of informed intuition. We're not talking about, just like with empathy, we're not talking about this emotional empathy. With intuition, we're not talking about being intuitive and being intuitive about things that we're not experts on. This is yeah. expert intuition. And yeah. this is the 
knowledge we get after practicing something several times. And fives might think that by gathering information, they will become an expert. But what we're saying here with the accelerator, which is conscious practice, that when you practice enough, you will become intuitive. Uh, it's not just by gathering information. It's about practicing whatever you want to be an expert at, and you will become intuitive. It's a big difference between naive intuition and expert intuition, yeah. right? Um, and just one good example is, you know, listen to a, a three-year-old improvise on a guitar sometime, okay? They're following their intuition, okay? They're doing what feels right to them, and it sounds awful, okay? Um, but listen to somebody who's you know, spent years and years and years practicing guitar and playing, when they improvise, it's a whole different thing. Okay. So, um, and again, they're responding to their intuition as well in response to other musicians and whatever else. Um, so people make this big mistake of saying, oh, I, I, I'm really an intuitive kind of person. Okay. Well, there's, there's no such thing as an intuitive kind of person, right? You have intuition, or, or there might be, we're all intuitive in one sense, but our naive intuitions are worthless for the most part. Okay. Um, you know, I, yeah, this airplane looks easy to fly. Yeah, well, it's not. So the idea here is, is that we need to uh, practice and develop so that our intuitions become effective. Point six is confidence. The, the, the baby doesn't really worry that much. Now, of course, some of them are more, you know, have more anxiety than others. But for the most part, babies haven't learned how dangerous the world is, right? Their parents haven't told them yet, don't take candy from strangers or don't get into that van or, or whatever. So they feel, all right, well, you know, life's going to be fine and things will be okay. But then that confidence starts to become stunted as they start to realize how dangerous the world is, how threatening it can be and so forth. The accelerator we use here is evidence. We ask people to, you know, particularly when we're working with a six, but again, other types as well, gather all the evidence of your capabilities. Gather all the evidence of your past successes. Gather all the evidence that points to the fact that you're going to be okay. And if it doesn't add up to the level of skill and development that you need, well, here are the skills that you have to develop, okay? So by gathering evidence of past accomplishment in a tangible way, usually we have them write it out, um, it helps to, you know, build that confidence again. Yeah, especially because six have these bias towards looking at what they have not accomplished, but not what they have done well. They just tend to overlook those things. So forcing them to look at, the, at it helps build their confidence. So point seven, the core quality is joy. And again, this is one, well, who's more joyful than sevens? Well, you know, sevens, you know, aren't always as joyful as we think they are. Now, joy is the, the, the feeling of well-being independent of external stimulation, right? I, I, I'm not feeling happy because I just had, you know, a piece of cake. I'm not feeling happy because I'm anticipating some great experience. I'm just feeling good, right? Because that's part of, you know, what it can be like to be human. The seven, they 
they go from that feeling of just general well-being to becoming dependent on external stimulation and external experience in order to recapture that. And again, it never becomes enough. So they have to jump from one to the next. They have to seek stimulation. They have to find new experience in order to recapture that feeling. So um, the core quality for the seven is to is savoring, right? To learn to savor, to be with something, to taste that glass of wine that we're sipping to taste the uh, you know the food that's in our mouth uh, to to smell stop and smell the roses right and you know we always tell our seven clients you know if if you can savor something for only 5 seconds that's good take that 5 seconds and tomorrow do it for 6 seconds and then do it for 10 seconds and so forth okay but you have to learn to be with your experience rather than anticipating the next thing that you're seeking to try and recapture joy with. So the next few weeks, we're going to be hitting all the numbers. Uh, will, we, will we be doing core qualities and accelerators for each episode? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So what, what, what we'll be doing is we'll, okay, here's what happens for, for eights. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll talk about point eight. We'll talk about point two and point five from the eight perspective and then we'll go to the next one and we'll do the same thing Mm -hmm. so we're going to be hitting them from multiple perspectives each time awesome yeah well thank you listener for joining us on today's episode and we'll uh we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to the awareness to action enneagram podcast if you're interested in more information or talking to mario mj or myself feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awareness all episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awareness to action.com slash podcast